Well, we want to uh, continue in our lessons in Christology and continue in uh, our, our examination of what it means to be in union with Christ, specifically the benefits that we receive as we are in union with Christ. And so far we've looked at a few benefits that flow from our union with our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, we've seen flowing from our union with Christ, we have received the blessing of justification. That is, we receive Jesus Christ as our righteousness or for our righteousness. And then also we, we receive, um, in addition to, to justification, we receive sanctification, which is Christ as wisdom or for wisdom. So in justification, then, what we have saw is the spirit imputes unto us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is to say, the spirit gives to us Christ himself so that when we have a right standing before God, it is God looking at his son. We stand before our holy God, uh, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, in Jesus Christ himself. And then also in sanctification, the Spirit gives to us Christ as wisdom. The Spirit elevates our nature and conforms us to the image of Christ. That's what the Spirit is doing now. Paul, uh, Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have, uh, just as we have been born of the image, uh, bore the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Uh, so right now you are being conformed. Your earthly image is being conformed to the heavenly image of Jesus Christ. And one of the last things I said um, last Sunday evening, morning, uh, afternoon rather, is when we say that our nature is being advanced and elevated, we're not we're not uh, uh, returning to the to the image of Adam in the Garden of Eden. That's not that state of perfection. That state of perfection per se that we are returning to, but rather our nature is being advanced and elevated so that we may be like Christ, the image of Jesus Christ, not the image of Adam. And that's currently what's happening within our lives now uh, through this progressive sanctification. Well, today then we will consider another, um, another benefit that flows from union with Christ, and it's going to be adoption. Adoption. <clears throat> Herman Bobbing writes, the state of grace of, and, gl- and of glory in which the church of Christ is a participant both here and in the hereafter is most splendidly described in Holy Scripture as the state of the children of God, as participation in the divine nature, as the vision of God, as eternal life, as heavenly bliss, and so forth. So what Bobbing is saying is the Christian life can be summed up as adopted children of God who receive blessings such as participation in the divine nature, such as the beatific vision, the vision of God, and eternal life. That is the Christian life for us. We are adopted sons and daughters of God awaiting our inheritance. Now, how do we define adoption? What is adoption? The doctrine of adoption. In chapter 12 in our Confession of Faith says this, God has granted that all those who are justified would receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ. By this, they are counted among the children of God and enjoy the freedom and privileges of that relationship. They inherit his name, receive the spirit of adoption, 
have access to the throne of grace with boldness and are unable to cry, Abba, Father. They are given compassion, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father. Yet they are never cast off, but are sealed for the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Saints, when we consider what our confession is saying, Consider the specific blessings that we receive as being sons and daughters of God. First, we are accounted among the children of God and enjoy the freedom and privileges of that relationship. We will speak to more of this um, at the very last point of what it means to enjoy the privileges of being a son and daughter of God. First, uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 to 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we, who are far off, have brought have been brought near to God. And the Bible speaks of this nearness that we have with God that goes beyond a friendship or an acquaintance. We're not merely just friends with God, or we're acquainted with God, or in a right relationship with God, but rather, we who are formerly haters of God are now adopted into the family of God. So when we think of the nearness of proximity that we are in relation to God, it's a nearness of a child to a parent. Not merely of a, a friend to a friend. Or someone who's an enemy now has peace with someone else. But it's a child to a parent. <clears throat> Our confession says next, they inherit his name. Another blessing, they inherit his name. That is to say... We, as adopted sons and daughters of God, we take on a new identity. A new identity. Sin no longer, saint, if you are a saint of God, sin no longer defines who you are. But rather, you are now a saint of God. Sin does not define who you are, but it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that defines who you are. Our confession says next that we receive the spirit of adoption. That is to say, we we receive the Holy Spirit who unites us to the Son so that we may be sons of the Father. We also read that we have access to the throne of grace. With boldness, we are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Now, isn't that quite overwhelming? We read uh, in Hebrews 4.16, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Because we are adopted sons and daughters of God, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and ask for help from our Heavenly Father. You see, not everyone has access to the Father. Everyone has access to God. They can call upon God, but, but it is us who are adopted sons and daughters of God that we can cry out to our God, who is our Father in heaven, in addition to the Son and the Spirit, Abba, Father, we can cry out to our God. And consider uh, the last blessings of adoption that our confession says, that we are given compassion. As children of God, we're given compassion. The God of the heaven and earth, uh, the, the one who, who, who is sovereignly and providentially controlling every single thing, who cares for the lilies in the field and the birds in the air. This God, this triune God, gives to you compassion, protection, 
provided for. And yet, we are some, at some times, we are, we are chastened. But we're never cast off. Our God never casts us off. But we are sealed for the day of redemption. And we will inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. You see, our God gives to us what we expect good earthly fathers to give to their children. We expect earthly fathers to give protection. We expect earthly fathers uh, to, to give compassion and to provide for their for their for their young ones. But saints, it is our God in heaven who who goes beyond uh, the expectations of an earthly father. For we see that our God will never cast us off, and we are we are sealed for the day of redemption. That's to say, our God will not abandon us, but He will preserve us to the end. We read in John 10, verse 28 through 29, "I will give Him eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of their hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands." This is so. Um, it fits nicely too to this morning's sermon when we read about rumors of wars and all these things that are going on and we might have the impression that has God forgotten about us? Will he protect us? Well, because we are adopted sons and daughters of God, we we know that we are preserved in our God's triune hand. Now, saints, where do we see the doctrine of adoption and holy writ? Well, the Bible is explicit about the doctrine of adoption. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And here it is here. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So here we see that every spiritual blessing we receive from the Father, including our adoption as sons, takes place in and through Jesus Christ. Just as justification and sanctification are in Christ. No one is justified apart from uh, being in Christ. And no one is sanctified apart from being in Christ. It is adoption then that allows you to be an adopted son and daughter. Rather, I should say, it is being in Christ that allows you to be an adopted son and daughter of God. So we are to divorce then union with Christ and adoption. But rather, we are adopted in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Now, um, I said uh, a few, I've been saying this, that um, every benefit that we receive in salvation, first and foremost, is experienced in the life of Jesus Christ. So justification, sanctification, this is a big debate. And um, this is where I differ with many of some of the reformed who are going to say that we also receive adoption as sons and daughters of God because Jesus Christ was adopted with respect to his humanity. Now, they have a certain way in which they parse that out um, that maybe next week I'll I'll uh, I'll get into. Um, I don't take that view, though. I, I don't take the view that we are adopted sons and daughters of God because Jesus Christ, first and foremost, was adopted with respect to his humanity as well and as, as meaningful as these men tried to be and divorce themselves from any error or, or heresy. Um, I don't take that view. Um, 
I'll take, I take another view, which is, you'll see at the end. Galatians 3, uh, uh, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. Galatians 4, 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Romans 9, 8. This, uh, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. Now, this is a beautiful text here. Because it dashes to pieces the notion that the Pharisees and Sadducees had on whom is a child of Abraham? Whom is a child of Abraham? What constitutes someone being an offspring of Abraham? Someone being from the lineage of Abraham? You remember what Jesus said in John 8, verses 37 through 40. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are seeking to kill me because of my word has no place in you. I speak of the things which you have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. So they're arguing that, no, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But it is, uh, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told the truth which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. So here Jesus Christ is rebuking uh, the, the common notion that the Pharisees and Sadducees had, and mind you, it is their own invention that they, that they brought up, that if you are truly the sons of Abraham, then you would do the works of Abraham. What constitutes someone being from the line and descendant of Abraham is the works and the deeds. It is the works and the deeds that connect you to Abraham. <clears throat> what is the work and the deed then? Is it external works? Is it believing in the law? No, it's believing in Jesus Christ. It's believing in Jesus Christ. So when Paul says in Romans 9, 8, not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring, what Paul is saying is, it is not your ethnicity that determines whether you are a child of God, but rather... It is whether you are united to Jesus Christ that determines whether you are a child of God and a descendant from Abraham. Again, it is not your ethnicity. It's not because someone is born Jewish means that they are a child of God. But rather, it is whether or not someone is united to the Son, Jesus Christ. It is union with Christ that determines, that constitutes you being a child of God, uh, not your ethnicity. First John 3, 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us, um, know us is that it did not know him. John Gill says wonderfully here, this blessing comes, and, and notice in this quote here, what Gill is doing is, <clears throat> um, he's explaining First John 3.1, through the perspective of one who does not deserve the blessings of 1 John 3, 1. Through someone who knows that they did not inherit this blessing in and of themselves. That they did not in and of themselves um, 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 work up to this being a adopted child of God. This blessing comes not by nature nor by merit, but by grace. The blessing of us being a child of God comes not by nature, does not come by merit, us working, or us, us being divine, 
but rather it comes by grace. The grace of adoption, which is a person's unto an inheritance they have no legal right unto. You have no, no legal right unto this heavenly inheritance that you have now been given. That's what he's saying. The spring of it is the everlasting, unchangeable love of God. For there is no need for the adopter's side. He having an only begotten son and beloved son. And no worth. Let me stop. God does not need to adopt you. What That's what Gil is saying. And that's what all of them will argue. That it is the father who has his beloved son. Who's in, who's in his bosom constantly, right? From everlasting to everlasting. Who is the joy of his father and spirit. So the father does not need to adopt you out of necessity to have more children. To have more people love him. That's not why God adopts us. Because he's feeling lonely, right? Not of worth, uh, and of no worth and loveliness in the adopted. Again, there is nothing in us that causes God to adopt us. There is nothing that draws uh, God to us, that makes God to love us, right? Because then, uh, that would mean that God is reacting, right, to something about us. But they being by children nature of wrath, it is a privilege that exceeds all others and is attended with many. We have many, uh, you know, we can think of our the privileges that we have in our jobs, right? We can think of the privilege that we have in growing up in certain households with saints. What privilege exceeds the privilege that you have as an adopted son and daughter of God? What privilege can the word world give to you, whether it's Medi-Cal, whether it's, you know, 401k benefits? What can the world give to you that exceeds the privilege of you being adopted son and daughter of God? So what we're trying to highlight really in 1 John 3, 1 is that we are not worthy of such adoption. We're not worthy of such adoption. But it is by God's grace, his unchangeable love. I mean, uh, we, we, this morning, we, uh, Pastor Antonio talked about um, the dilemma of theodicy, right? Of, of evil and, and, and the goodness of God and all these other things. And even when we think about all these other things we say about our, our benefits, right, that we have in Christ. Like, why does God elect us? Why does God uh, send his son to save us? And a lot of times, as Pastor Antonio said this morning, we're just left with saying, because God. Because God chose to do it this way. And a lot of times that's, um, that's the only thing that we can, we can, we can say. We can multiply verses. I can multiply verses that testify to this grand doctrine, um, of adoption, saints. But, uh, I want us now to consider this question. And it's, it's ironic too because I just got done saying, but God, why does God adopt us? Why does God adopt us? And I'm going to attempt uh, to just give you two reasons um, of why God adopts us. Ultimately, right, saying, I don't know why, though, ultimately. Uh, but let me just give you two things that might move the needle, right? For what reason are we adopted as sons and daughters of God? For what reason? Let me just give you two before we close. Two. The first reason why God adopts us is for our good. The first reason why God adopts us as children of God is for our good. We as creatures, creatures, 
um, are always in search for the good. That is to say, we're always in search for happiness. Specifically, the ultimate happiness that when we reach it, when we obtain it, we don't have to look beyond it to look for something else. That will something else satisfy, right? Of course, we know that nothing in this world can fulfill our desire for the ultimate good. Not money, not power, not fame, not anything. But only God alone. Only only God, right, who is uncaused, in and of himself, sufficient, right, can be the ultimate source of our happiness. Because if God, or rather, since God, right, is self-sufficient, since God is the cause of all things, then it makes sense and is fitting that the one who is the cause of all things, when we find him, or rather when he finds us, and when we, when we receive this blessing from the Lord, that is the vision of God, we won't have to look for anything outside of God. We won't have to look for any other causes outside of the one who causes all things to be. So then we have to ask, what does our adoption have to do with our good? What is the link between our adoption as sons and daughters of God and our complete and final happiness? Consider what Thomas Aquinas says. Now God, who is infinitely good, for which reason he admits his creatures to a participation of good things, especially rational creatures, for, uh, who, for, so, uh, for as much they are made to the image of God, are capable of divine uh, beatitude. Let me just stop there before I continue to read. We as rational creatures made in the image of God, inherent within us, there is a capacity, right, to be happy in God, to be satisfied in God. Right? Augustine talks about this, there being a, a, a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only God can fill. So we within us, technically speaking, have an obediential potency to receive God as our blessedness and reward. And that is why nothing in the earth, nothing in this world can suffice. Nothing in this world that you, that you uh, 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 offer to yourself will give you complete happiness. You will always be in the search for a greater happiness. So Aquinas goes on to say, and this consists in the enjoyment of God. By which also God himself is happy and rich in himself. That is, in the enjoyment of himself. Now a man's inheritance is that which makes him rich. Wherefore, insomuch as God, of his goodness, emits men to the inheritance of beatitude, he is said to adopt him, them. According to Aquinas then, when God adopts us, and here's the beauty of it, when God adopts us, he gives us a share in his own divine goodness. When God adopts us, why are we happy? Why are we completely satisfied? Because God is sharing his, the enjoyment that he has in and of himself with us. With us. Adoption then opens for us the door to a heavenly inheritance. And saints, when we think of heavenly inheritance, it's not merely streets of gold or mansions or any of those other things, but our heavenly inheritance is a participation in God's goodness. That's your heavenly inheritance. It's a participation, a sharing in the ultimate goodness, which is God himself. Again, God does not need to create, to adopt, in order for him to be enjoyed. God, so imagine the enjoyment and the beatitude that God has in of himself. We can't think of that. 
Because there are things in our lives, right, that contribute to our happiness and our good and our joy. Think of all the things in your life. Well, what if you stripped all those things away? Will you have joy still? Will you have happiness? Well, it is God and God alone who in and of himself has perfect beatitude. And he shares that perfect beatitude with creatures, with us. As Aquinas says, God in himself is happy and rich in himself. That is, in the enjoyment of himself. God is in and of himself blessed, eternal. In 1 Timothy 1, uh, 11, Paul says that he's been entrusted with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. So God then is blessed in and of himself. God is completely, we can say, happy in and of himself, right, metaphorically speaking. It is God then who enjoys himself, and he gives that enjoyment to us to enjoy. He gives us a share then in the same enjoyment that he has in and of himself. Saints, that is, that is the, that is the apex of heaven. That, that is the vision of God. To, to know God, right? And to enjoy him forever. But what that means is we're actually sharing in divine goodness himself. God gives to us these things. <clears throat> and saints, when we, when we share in God's enjoyment of himself, when we share in God's divine beatitude, our ultimate desire for the good and happiness is fulfilled. Our ultimate desire for the good and happiness is fulfilled. That is wonderful, is it not? That when God adopts, he does so so that we may be closer to him. Not so that he may be closer to us. So that we may be closer to him. For our good. So that we can enjoy him forever. In adoption, God gives to us a heavenly inheritance, which is nothing other than he himself. God is our heavenly inheritance. The second reason, and lastly, why God adopts us, is so by grace, we can become sons and daughters of God. God adopts us so that by grace, we can become sons and daughters of God. And this truth helps us make an important distinction when we consider our adoption. When we become sons and daughters of God, we are to think that we are sons of God in the same way the eternal Son is the Son of the Father. I don't want you to think that, right? I don't want you to walk away saying, our sonship is, um, um, there's a one-to-one ratio between our sonship and the eternal son's sonship. We aren't to think that at all. Again, Thomas Aquinas says, there's a difference between an adopted son of God and the natural son of God. The latter is the begotten not made who is Jesus Christ, whereas the former is made. So what's the difference between your sonship and the eternal son's sonship? One is begotten, not made, which is the eternal son. The, the eternal son never became the son. He was not made to be the son of the father. Once We have to say that there once was a time when the son was not. The son has always existed with the father. But with regard to us, though, we are made sons and daughters of God. We on our side, we as creatures, we are made sons and daughters of God. This is why theologians then have said that we are sons and daughters of God by grace. And Jesus Christ is the natural son of the Father. 
Christ is the natural son of the father, and we are sons and daughters of God by grace. Now, here is where the similarities, though, come into play. We are sons and daughters of God by grace, but how are we able to be sons and daughters of God by grace? How? It is only in union with the natural son of God. You are a son and daughter. You are made a son and daughter through the natural son and in the natural son. Now, hold on to that concept, okay? You're a son and daughter in the natural son of God. When we are adopted into the family of God then, and and, and this is the great application of it in truth also, when we are adopted into the family of God, because we're adopted uh, as sons and daughters by grace in the natural son, then we participate in the mutual love relationship between the father and the son. That, that's the great news, right? That this is the great news of the gospel. That those who are far off have been brought near, right? And the logic of the statement is this. And again, let me reiterate. Since we are united to the natural son of God and made sons and daughters of God by grace, then by necessity, we truly share in the eternal son's relationship with the father. That's the logic. Because we are in, we are united to this one, the eternal son, the natural son of God. Then we, by necessity, participate in the very relationship that the eternal son has with the father. You, saint, creature in heaven, a creature on earth, on earth, you, because you're united to Jesus Christ, the natural son, you participate in the relationship of the triune God by grace. Instead of the words of our Savior in John 16, 26 through 27, in that day you will ask in my name, and I, will, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I come forth from the Father. It's clear from Christ's words that as we come to love and believe in the Son, then we are included in the love that the Father has for the Son. How much does the Father love you? The Father loves you as he loves his Son. That's a point. Summarizing that, of this. So when we say we're united to Jesus Christ then, being united to the Son means we come to share in the Sonship's privileges. We come to share in everything that the Son has and possesses. Just as we share in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and it, make, it would make no sense then also, right? Why would we share in the merits and the benefits of Christ's saving work without also sharing in his relationship that he has with the Father? We share in his life, we share in his death, we share in his resurrection, we share in all these things. But also, saints, we share in his fellowship with the Father. Cyril Alexandria and if you just want to look more into this, church fathers or Athanasius, Cyril, all these guys, they all talk about this. For just as he is closely related to the Father, so what he's saying is just as the eternal Son is closely related to the Father because he is divine, 
And through their identity of nature, the Father is closely related to him. So because the Father and the Son are divine, right, they're closely related. Um, so also uh, so also are we closely related to him and he to us. Just as the, fa- the Son is related to the Father, right, closely related to the Father, related uh, loosely, very loosely I'm speaking of, we are actually related to the Father. <clears throat> In closing, saints, the doctrine of adoption is a grand and marvelous comfort. And it really highlights, and we will speak about this in the coming weeks, the wonder of the Incarnation. That one of the big debates during the 13th century is, why did the Eternal Son become man? We'll attempt to try to answer that question, but, but one of the reasons that they gave is that the Eternal Son became man so that man may be sons and daughters of God. Isn't that a wonderful and beautiful uh, uh, motive and, and thought and comfort, right? That he, the eternal son, he by nature, right, who is one with the father, he assumed true humanity so that true humanity may be elevated to be sons and daughters of God. That's the gospel. So when we think about the gospel, right, we are to think that the gospel is merely just about us having a legal status before God. That now we have this status before God, God looks at us and we're okay, we can go to heaven. But rather, salvation is about a relationship. It's about a closeness and a nearness that God is drawing us back onto himself. He does that in the Spirit through the Son. And in the Spirit through the Son, we see the Father. What that means, saints, is then in our daily lives, when sin and Satan cause us to despair, think of your identity now in Christ. Think of your adoption as a son and daughter of God, right? When we heard this morning of, of all these things that are happening, that, that happened in the past, that will happen in the present, that will continue to happen, uh, whether it be wars or, or famine or all these other things, saints, think of your adoption, God is preserving you and will preserve you and will protect you. Because of this great truth, saints, we can say the words of St. Paul in Ephesians 2.9. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints, with the saints and members of the household of God. Let's pray.